Albuquerque's macro aggression, Eddie Aragon, the rock of talk. Afternoon. I'm Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk on AM 1600. KIVA 93.7 FM, the web, the app, rockoftalk.com. Number to call in text is the five line, 550-5500. We got Dowd Muska, and we got a important task in front of us, Dowd. <laughs> a grueling task. We're going to get through this, folks. Okay, today marks exactly five months, right? We started on March 13th. Let's count it down. April 13th, May 13th. June 13th, July 13th, August 13th. Here we are, five months, 150 days. We're 80 days away from the election. Now, you've seen the demarcations for our improvements on COVID-19. People have been uh, getting around, trying to do what they can. You think we're going to catch a break. I figured there was going to be a little bit of surprise good news. They already picked the VP. She's no longer needing to flex her muscle, no longer needing to uh, show the former Vice President Joe Biden what she's made of and what she can achieve. I I figured we're past all of the, I don't know, proving ourselves. And no. In fact, the woman is going even nuttier than ever. She is doubling down on her COVID-19 restrictions. And what she is doing in my opinion, is nothing short of criminal, and it's why you must visit impeachmlg.com. Folks, this is a runaway train. We have destroyed our economy. We've destroyed restaurants. We've destroyed businesses. We've destroyed... What, what, what haven't we destroyed? Let Michelle Lujan Grisham know so she can go and destroy that too, because she cannot wait. I have uh, no less than probably about uh, 12 texts that have taken place for a news conference that I wasn't going to carry, for information that I didn't think that we needed to hear because I could thought, well, you know, we're shut down for August. Things can only get better. We're not looking, we're not grading anything anymore. The restaurants have already just accepted. They're like, yeah, we're shut down for the entire month of August. Folks, this is repulsive. This is not something that we can tolerate anymore. I am sorry. Five months in, but we cannot bear another month of this. Mm. There is just no way, no how. Not for how well we have performed, not for what we've done, and this is punitive at this point. This is nothing but punishment. So, without further ado, we'll leave our governess uh, to the rescue here. Five months, 150 days, August 13, 2020. Hard to believe we're going to have this uh, conversation, but here she is in all her splendor and all her glory. We'll talk about this during Hour 2 and Hour 3. It will take up most of the remainder of the show. I do have other things I do want to talk about, but this is going to be an all-COVID. She's going to restrict it. She shut down parks. She's shutting, sh- shutting down different parts of the state. She shut down Ute Lake. She shut down nearly everything she possibly could, and there's not enough for her to shut down. Here she goes. Good afternoon, New Mexico. It's Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. I want to thank everyone for joining us for our weekly COVID update. Uh, I want to start with highlighting these masks. Uh, We're all wearing matching masks up here. That's because they are produced and provided by iCount New Mexico. Uh, You should expect to see our census workers wearing these when they're out and about. 
and uh, we want to highlight and promote. We've got very little time left to make a difference in uh, responding to our uh, census questions and making sure that that data is rolling up to the federal government. So we've got someone here who's leading that effort, the uh, Director of State Personnel, Pam Coleman, and you will hear from her shortly. And I want to thank iCount New Mexico for providing these masks to all the folks who are working on uh, census uh, efforts and for making them available to us today. All right, I'm going to take it off so I can, uh, I hope, be heard more clearly. Let's go to the first slide, which is our daily case update. Uh, we've got 177 new cases today. Uh, as we uh, talked to, with Dr. Grace about modeling, that's all good news. Um, but we want to we want to keep lowering those cases, and uh, we want to keep improving uh, how we are managing in a COVID world. Note that we uh, that takes us to 22,987 total COVID infections in the state from beginning till to date. We have 128 people currently in the hospital. That's down. 30 people on ventilators. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, we have not had a day where we're not announcing that we've lost New Mexicans. Uh, today, uh, again, unfortunately, is no different. We have two new deaths. That brings us to 697 total. And, uh, you know, I get asked um, frequently about what is the most difficult thing about COVID. And it's talking to families who reach out to us because, remember, I don't know who anyone is and shouldn't. Uh, about loved ones who are in critical care or on ventilators in hospitals, and then what happens uh, w uh, if we're uh, lucky enough and fortunate enough that they make it and are in long-term rehab care, and talking to family members who had to say goodbye to their loved ones or didn't get to say goodbye, and how difficult it is uh, in a COVID world um, uh, to lose your, your loved ones and family members and neighbors and friends. And so for me, this is always particularly hard and painful. All right, we've done 650,491 total tests. We continue to have uh, 50 plus sites open. We continue to work very productively with our private sector testing partners. A reminder to New Mexicans, we're working hard to get folks with symptoms. That's our first priority always because we want you to get information about your medical care. We want to make sure uh, that we are focused on, on, on uh, giving you information that makes you safe, that gets you to isolate uh, protect uh, productively, that your family is safe. That takes more time in gathering, right, taking the COVID uh, uh, sample from you. Everyone else goes to public health sites. However, no wrong door. We don't want to discourage New Mexicans from getting tested. Part of our success in managing COVID and dealing with outbreaks has absolutely been our aggressive testing program. And in case it doesn't come up, I'm just going to take an opportunity before we go to modeling. Testing supplies are getting more and more challenging to come by. We're working very diligently to do that. So if you see that we've got fewer tests uh, that are taken in a day or less of our surveillance work, we can only run the tests each day that we've got enzymes and related equipment for each day. Uh, and with no testing strategy at the national level, 
This means that we're competing with other states who have also had to increase and advance their testing and pooling. We're ready to do that, but for needing federal approvals still. So none of that is quite where it ought to be. My confidence level remains high. Instead of very high, that we get it all in when we need it, it's uh, reduced to about high. But I do want New Mexicans to know that that's getting increasingly more challenging. Uh, it's an area that we all focus on, and uh, I just wanted you to get a kind of heads up about where we are. And in fact, I've got a call if someone's going to ask me with uh, members in the White House Task Force team on testing tomorrow to make sure that we're doing everything we can to be in uh, the clear, to run as many tests as we can each possible day. All right, let's go to Dr. Scrace and get an update on modeling, and then uh, back to me for an update with the, the Director of Personnel on Census. Uh, thank you very much, Governor. Good afternoon, people of New Mexico. Thanks for all your cooperation, collaboration in the public health orders, wearing masks, staying at home. We're seeing results from that that we all should be very proud of. And I'm just going to go right to the slides. Uh, uh, this slide uh, I didn't have in last week. It's my favorite slide, though. And what, what we see is that we're now coming down quite rapidly off of our highest peak we've had in the coronavirus pandemic. And we're really dropping. There's a little divot there from a, one, a couple of days where we did a few less specimen collections. But you can see that trend is coming down. Uh, throughout the state, there's a lag on this. So, um, you know, we had, a, we had a case count today that will help bring this number even lower. And so we're hoping to continue to see that trend. Uh, the good news is not only is everything coming down, and it's coming down exponentially, but we're also seeing uh, that it's coming down in all the regions of the state, which are the different colored lines on the bottom part of this graph. So we're doing well, uh, great progress. I'm going to talk about this number 189. Uh, a little bit more toward the end of the presentation, but just so I'll draw your attention to it. Remember that what brings cases down, um, well, let me start with what brings cases up. What brings cases up primarily is people having interactions with other people. That's how we get COVID. We share that same air with someone else, and there are droplets in that air that we breathe in, and that, that is in the vast majority, probably over 99% of infections occur that way. And so when we all uh, come together and follow the public health orders or mask, and I'm going to show you some really great, interesting data today about how well masks work, uh, that's what's helping bring this down, plus all the great work that our contact tracing team is doing to make sure people know when they need to isolate or be quarantined, et cetera. Uh, the next slide is just our usual heat maps. Uh, uh, maybe it's not the next slide. Could you go one more just to see what we've got? Yeah, there we go. Thank you very much. Um, so on the left, a map of New Mexico with darker colors being more cases since the very beginning of the pandemic. And now DeBaca County, the only county that survived without having a COVID case. Uh, on the right, you can see um, how things looked over just the past week, seven days of data that we have so far with cases. And you can see that things have flipped, that uh, the northwest is coming down. Those colors are getting lighter. The southeast is where our problems are, where we're seeing an uptick in cases. And you're going to see a darker colored southeastern New Mexico 
in a number of slides today, and that's where we're really focusing attention around testing and uh, other interventions to try to see if we can control the pandemic better in that part of the state. Now, if you could move on to the bar graph, please. And uh, these are the daily confirmed cases. I show this pretty much every week. A couple things I'd like to highlight on the left graph is number one, that 15.7% uh, now of folks under 20 uh, are um, have been infected uh, of our cases, 15.7% of our cases are in people under 20, which is higher than the rest of the country, but uh, we're sort of drifting down in the rankings on that, which I think is a good thing. But the thing to really point out is the undisputed leader in terms of the percent of cases this week are the folks 20 to 29. And so 20% 20, 20 of, you know, basically 10% of the population uh, were at represented positive cases this week. And on the right, uh, you can see the death rates again by age. We're still doing well in uh, the fact that we've had no deaths in people under 20 in New Mexico, but that's not true for every state now. And we are seeing both people under 20 and even people under 10 uh, who are passing from COVID infections. So it's a serious infection. It's a serious virus. Uh, we continue to watch closely um, and uh, Next slide, I'm going to do a little bit of medical uh, updates for you today as well. Um, getting lots of emails from people who are saying, you know, don't minimize how long it's taking me or people I know or everyone to get better from COVID. You know, I think the word on the street is, you know, as long as you don't uh, expire from the virus, it's kind of like a bad cold and you'll be fine. But now, as, the vi as we've had more time to study the effects of the virus on people, and we've talked about a lot of those effects before, but we're seeing, you know, the, the virus seems to attach to and affect and inflame blood vessels. And uh, you don't have to have a degree in anatomy to know the blood vessels go to every part of our body. And so the brain, the lungs, the heart, uh, and the blood vessels themselves can show effects of uh, infections after the infection. We talked, I think, last week or the week before about 70% of people having something that we can see on an MRI scan in their heart, and uh, the literature keeps coming through. So people developing high blood pressure after a COVID infection or a heart rhythm problem, or just shortness of breath or brain fog. But lots of people, and I just wanted to, this is a uh, recognition of those of you New Mexicans who are out there, who've emailed me or haven't, who are struggling to recover. You know, we're with you on this, and it isn't just a cold, and we really want to acknowledge that the, what you're going through is real, and it's hard. And please encourage your friends and others to wear those masks and, to, and stay out of harm's way until you're really feeling well. Thank you. Uh, this is my favorite slide this week. And some, uh, the mask slide should be next. Too much information on here, but just uh, most of it's, a lot of it's pictures. So some folks at Duke got together, built their own little laser machine to count droplets when people were talking. And they tried 14 different masks, and um, they tried without any mask at all. So if you look on the graph in the, in the lower right, you'll see control experiment, no mask, and, and it's relative droplet count. So 100% of the droplets when you're talking go out of your mouth. That's what that means. And if you look at the top, the N95 masks that 
ICU physicians wear or that people doing nasal swabs wear to get specimens, you can see that they let no water droplets, no droplets through at all with the mask. But there's some other really cool stuff on this slide I want to highlight. Second is that the surgical mask or procedure mask that actually are sometimes available commercially as, as well. I had a box of them in my garage from woodworking that I've done in the past. Uh, those are good. And in this experiment, we're as good as regular masks. And then a three-layer cotton with a polypropylene layer and another cotton layer, uh, only 5% of the particles got out. And you, can, and you can look through these, but immediately what jumps out is any kind of multi-layer mask is almost always better than a single-layer mask, which we've known for a long time. Two more things. Number one, if you're wearing a bandana and you're speaking, you're filtering out less than half of those potentially COVID-containing water droplets from your mouth. So bandanas in my book are now out. Uh, we don't have a public health order on that, but I know for myself, I'm avoiding people that I see on the street wearing bandanas because I know they're not very well protected. And a really strange uh, finding is folks wearing the fleece gaiter type, sort of neck gaiter, it's a uh, wraps all the way around and you pull it over, that actually transmits more water droplets. Well, how is that possible? turns out that the nature of those fabrics shred some of the water droplets and actually broadcast more. So uh, if you're in the bottom layer uh, or the bottom part of this chart, particularly not wearing a mask at all, but uh, all, uh, some of these less performing masks, uh, think about this, look this up. This will be available online, and when it is, you can click on the title of the slide, and you can read the article for yourself. Uh, really well done. It's like a PhD-level science experiment uh, that, uh, that really answers some practical questions that have been coming up for months and months and months, and now we know. Uh, immunizations, a couple things I want to say. I want to reinforce that kids need their back-to-school immunizations. Uh, even if you're planning on having your child stay at home and do distance learning, they still need those immunizations and it helps us as a population to, because the last thing we want during a COVID pandemic is an outbreak of measles or mumps or some other childhood illness spreading through our population. Flu shots are now available in a couple pharmacies around the state, but every, everywhere in September, I don't know if you remember, but we usually tell people, you know, Late October, early November, best time to get a flu shot. But we're asking people to get those early this year like we did when H1N1 came around and the vaccine came around in 2009. So get those vaccines. It will help keep influenza down so we don't confuse it with COVID. People don't get sicker from a combination uh, infection. And very, very active planning going on in DOH about um, for vaccine for the COVID-19 vaccine and building up that infrastructure to make sure that gets delivered. On the right is an infographic, and I just want to say a couple things about it. One, one thing is that this is United States companies that are developing vaccines here, and you can see that there's a six-step process where they work in the lab. Phase one uh, is uh, maybe a testing it on animals. Phase two, small number of humans. Phase three, thousands of human beings. Stage four, uh, phase four would be when, or the next step is emergency authorization when the FDA would say this is safe for human beings. And lastly, the final approval. And uh, there was a big announcement, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that uh, a, a highly placed Russian official's daughter 
had uh, received the Russian vaccine. I just want to make it clear that that Russian vaccine is in phase two. So it hasn't even been tested on thousands of people yet. And so uh, there was some sort of Russia declaring victory that they had won the vaccine race, which is to me kind of like being in a 26-mile marathon and raising your hands in victory when you get to the 10K mark. There's still a long way to go. And in our country, we value safety, and we value the science behind that safety. And so lots of irons in the fire, uh, human trials and thousands of people underway for three vaccines. Uh, we expect to have options available. We also know that different vaccines may work better for different kinds of people. More on that in the future when we have more information. But uh, we want to get in the United States the EUA emergency use authorization phase uh, before widespread distribution and uh, final approval will probably be very close to that as well. So I just wanted you to know if you were thinking, why don't, why do other countries have a vaccine and the United States doesn't? And the answer is because other countries don't have their vaccine really ready for widespread human use. Um, now let's move to the map of the United States. Uh, I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I'm starting to whine about the fact that New Mexico is still red on this map, and I am. Uh, but there's really good news here, and it's the How We Reopen web, uh, Safely website if you want to go and look. We're great on every single thing except for the, what they call the new cases per million per day, which is sort of our case count. And if you also remember, if you've viewed in the past, We've been working on coming up with the best possible target for that case count. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit more right now. We were just looking at spread rate, but uh, what we're learning across the whole country is if you open schools with a low spread rate and a high case count, you're going to have a lot more trouble. They also found that in Europe. Uh, if you reopen certain public activities or businesses with a low spread rate but a high case count, uh, that's a lot more trouble than with a low case count. And so and we may talk later about states with schools that have reopened, that they actually have a, um, a case counts per population, per unit of population, that are three to four times higher than where New Mexico is at today. On the next slide, our old goalpost slide. Last time you'll ever see the goalpost, at least in this context, we have assigned a target to that measure, and we're looking to get to 168 cases or less per day. We've looked at a lot of different methodologies, lots of scientific discussion, lots of uh, public policy discussion. Uh, the governor made the final decision on the number 168. It turns out it's uh, 80 cases uh, per 100,000. Uh, for those of you who are interested, uh, no, 80 cases per million, sorry, 8 cases per 100,000. But we're just going to talk about the number of cases, and that saves you having to multiply everything by 21, which we're counting on you being happy with. Uh, the gating criteria as a whole, all green, except what we're now realizing is the most important measure. And if I could please have the next slide. Uh, it's the blue and purple one, so let's go one more. There. Uh, you can see that we've got uh, our spread rate's great, it's low. Uh, testing capacity still hitting on all cylinders, and the number the governor gave you for the total number of tests actually gets us to th over 30% of our population, or the, at least the number of tests divided by, by the population is over 30%. I want to highlight that uh, we've 
this journey about getting supplies for our testing has been a long one and it changes. You, you may remember that first it was not having enough PPE for healthcare workers and then it was nasal swabs and then it was reagents and then it was nasal swabs and now we're down to have, struggling to get simple things that the lab uses and throws away like pipette tips or wells to put the, uh, the specimen in. And so uh, and I, I, I'm proud to say that our governor is fighting very hard for us and uh, does call these manufacturers to get supplies when we need them so we can keep testing, so we can stay on top of this pandemic. Contact tracing now. I'll, I'll show you the graphs doing great and delivery system in a good place. I've said this before, but this big peak in cases we had, our biggest peak was not accompanied by a lot of, of um, hospitalizations or by as many as would have been proportional to last time. So um, maybe stay on this graph. This is the daily case graph that I showed you at the beginning without all the regions. And the green line is our target, which is 168 cases per day. And you see we're really almost there. And I believe that in the next week or so, uh, we'll get there. Uh, we'll see. Uh, please keep wearing your mask because if people think this is the finish line, it is not the finish line. It's where we need to be to start thinking about how we can uh, add some other things back into normal life, like uh, a small dose of in-person school. And those are the discussions that we'll be having soon. Uh, the next slide, uh, just to mention, uh, we were, New Mexico is featured on CNN. This test positivity rate is the new hot COVID metric around the country. And you can see that New Mexico is just doing amazingly well, where low numbers are better. Uh, we, we have states with uh, Texas, for example, with a test positivity rate that's eight times ours. So we're really doing amazingly well, and that's all due to the central focus of our testing strategy. And at the end of this very short feature on New Mexico, uh, uh, the announcer uh, said, you know, really credited uh, the governor for her focus on science, her use of common sense, and uh, and the leadership that she's exhibited. And it's, it's really great for all of us to partner with all of you in New Mexico to be part of a team that's achieving these kinds of great results. This is a new map that you haven't seen before. And it, it looks like some of the other maps. And this is the map that our testing team uses to say where should we focus our testing. It combines how we're doing on that test positivity rate and how we're doing on proportional case counts for each county. And if you're a red county on this map, that means that you're, you're over what we're trying to, what, what your cases are too high and your test positivity is too high. And so our teams are trying to focus more effort in those areas to get in there and test and identify more cases so that we can contact those people and isolate them and find out who their contacts are and contact uh, those contacts, that sounds redundant, and get them quarantined. I mentioned this last week, but we're starting to have uh, issues being raised in here in New Mexico. The Department of Health will never ask you for a social security number, uh, credit card number, uh, anything like that. And so if you get a call like that and you're asked for that kind of information, it's fraudulent. Uh, please try to take down as much information as you can and notify our Attorney General's office. So uh, this is a way that we can focus our testing. We're also using this construct to be more cautious about reopening nursing home visits, um, which are, as you know, uh, going to start happening very, very soon. 
but it's a way of keeping our pulse on a weekly basis of where we have too many cases, where we have uh, too high of a positivity rate so we can intervene and keep this down, keep this pandemic under control. Uh, you can see this giant mesa of contact tracing where on the left, this is the time it took us uh, on the next slide, sorry. Uh, if I could have that one, please. There we are. Uh, the, this is the uh, number of hours to reach a positive case from the time we get the result. And you can see we're back now under the target. And the, on the right, we have the number of hours it takes us to reach that case's contacts and get them quarantined for 14 days, and we're back under the target there. So all in all, things look really good. Uh, it's a credit to uh, the behavior of New Mexicans and your diligence and wearing masks and, and obeying public health orders. But we can't really move forward. And if I can go to the next slide with the two light switches on it, we can't really move forward unless we all stick with this. This is not a finish line. This is, we're not flipping a switch on once we meet the gating criteria. It means that we can start thinking about and planning for possibilities to reopen. I think when we did the very teeny reopening back in, in June, I think here in state government, we thought it was like the dimmer switch there on the left, that we we're just going to turn it up a little bit and, you know, watch really carefully. And I think what happened is uh, that folks interpreted that meeting our gating criteria as flipping that switch on the right, turning the lights on bright. And so, and as you know, uh, from the curves I just showed you that we had a huge surge in cases after that. So we need everybody to get uh, to, to buy into and support us in this dimmer switch program. So we're, you know, the lights won't be all the way on really and to continue the metaphor until we have a vaccine and most people have gotten it. But we can do a little bit more if everybody continues to do what they're doing now. So stay at home uh, unless you absolutely have to go out, wash your hands, keep things clean, don't cough into your hands. Everybody really needs to wear a face covering in public and now you know what the best kind of face coverings are. I know there are a lot of people out there that just love those bandanas, but you're actually putting other people at risk when you wear them. And, and, I, and uh, we'll probably get more information on the whole fleece uh, uh, mask that wraps around, but uh, I would encourage people not to use those as well. Just our mental health line, we have an app for that and also a support line number. We'll leave it up for a second. But all in all, we're doing well, we're making progress, but we have to keep doing what we're doing if we don't want to see that curve go up. And if we want to be able to do more, get kids back into school, we have to do even more than what we're doing, which in most cases means that instead of 65 or 70% of people wearing a mask every day, that we get up to 90% plus. And with that, I'm going to turn it back to you, Governor. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much, Dr. Scrace. Um, next, uh, I introduced her earlier, um, and I hope I didn't have to introduce our uh, incredible director of state personnel who's leading our efforts to make sure that we get uh, as many folks to complete their census. And uh, the director and I'm going to start it by reminding folks that if we don't do this and we don't improve our responses, it means incredible, sizable losses of federal funds that mean everything from housing, roads, health care. 
we must have access to those funds. They're based on your population. Your population in this context gets based on the number of people who fill out their census data so we know who's in a household. It isn't used for any other uh, negative or nefarious purposes, completely illegal. You're absolutely protected, but it gives New Mexico an accurate depiction of our population, which means then we're in a position to acquire and have access to funds that, frankly, are allocated for us, for our population. So if we don't do it, we really lose out, and I want... Uh, the director to tell you more about that and where we are and what to expect. Director Coleman. Thank you very much, Governor. And thank you, Dr. Scrace. Um, the numbers all tell a story. So every week when the governor and Dr. Scrace describe where we are with respect to the gating criteria, with respect to where we are with our numbers, um, it's all about for folks to take action. And that's the same that I'll talk about today with the census because the numbers are also telling a story. As the governor uh, referred to, New Mexico receives about $7.8 billion a year, and that's with a B, billion dollars a year, based on the last census, which is, was in 2000. Um, we want to make sure that we are encouraging all New Mexicans to take the very simple and easy steps of completing their census in order to become counted in the 2020 census which will then have dramatic effects for the next 10 years. So just like wearing a mask, just like staying home if you don't have to, just like uh, socially distancing if you have to go out, it's the same thing with the census. Action matters, and very simple action matters. Simple action makes such a big difference. The census is only 10 questions. You can do it online at 2020census.gov. You can make a phone call, which will put that number on the screen. You can, uh, there's for, the, uh, for folks who are hearing impaired, um, it's in Spanish. There are so many easy ways to return the census, respond to the census, including folks in New Mexico who would have received an, an envelope or a packet from the U.S. Census at your door. So when we talk about the, the risk of not being counted, we're talking about big dollars. We're talking about dollars that go into every bit of the health care that the governor and Dr. Scrace have described and continue to describe. It goes into education. Health care means $5 billion a year to New Mexico. Education, federal dollars account for $770 million. Roads, infrastructure, over $400 million. For housing, $115 million easy. And all of these amounts are per year. So the stakes couldn't be higher. And to the extent that we do not count, self-count, count as a New Mexican, we stand to leave money on the table. And that's something that no one can afford in any year, especially during these very critical times with a public health emergency, with a pandemic. It is incumbent upon all New Mexicans to take their responsibility seriously and do something that's so simple, which is a 10-question questionnaire. So the census happens every 10 years. Um, it's provided for in the Constitution. The Constitution says that we will count every single person who lives in the country, everybody, regardless of how old you are, regardless of your immigration status, regardless of your race, your income, where you live, what part of the state, what part of you, doesn't matter. Every single New Mexican Every single person in the country will get counted. It is guaranteed by the Constitution. But you have to do your part first, 
and complete the census in order to guarantee that you will uh, that your number will will go in with all the folks in your family, in your community, in your county, in your in this great state of New Mexico in order for us to be able to go back to the federal government and have them allocate appropriate money to us. So if we can put it even in more simple terms as to what it what that money means for everybody who doesn't get appropriately counted it could mean one less hospital bed it could mean one less vaccine when we finally have a tried and true and tested vaccine it could mean one less rural fire truck in someone's county it it has that kind of significance if we do not appropriately get counted there's there's some myths about the census that I'm very happy to go through and there's a slide for that so these are census myths that we hear pretty frequently. Um, one is to say, well, I have to wait for one of those census workers to come to my house and ask me questions. And that's a myth uh, because you can complete your census online, you can complete it by phone, and you can complete it by completing it in the, the envelope that you would have received in the mail and return it. It's as simple as answering 10 questions. If it takes you more than 10 minutes, I would be surprised. Um, everybody reports back in when any sort of like, oh, I thought it was going to be a little bit more complicated. I thought I, I would have to answer questions that I didn't know the answer to. No, you know all the answers because they're all about you and the folks who live in your household. The second myth is that your census data will not be secure, and the governor referred to this. The, the truth is that federal law prohibits the release of your information, and in fact, Every U.S. census worker takes a sworn oath to protect your information for the rest of, your, of their life. So not only when they're working for the census, but they are, they are prohibited from sharing your information for the rest of their lives. Uh, the next myth is that I only need to count the adults in my household because, you know, little kids, why do, why do they count? Um, even babies, why should I count a baby? Everybody needs to count. So if you think about someone who was born in your household, you know, the last several months, that little person will be in the fifth grade in 10 years. And when they go to, when it's in preschool, when it's early childhood, when they're in kindergarten, when they're in uh, elementary school, every single dollar that we can attribute to that little person today will stay with them for the next 10 years. And for math purposes, uh, every single person I know that uh, Dr. Scrace likes the math, math problems. I'll give you a super easy one. Um, every single New Mexican who is counted is a, the equivalent of about $3,700 a year. Times 10 means $37,000 per New Mexican. If only one person in New Mexico per county is not counted, New Mexico loses a million dollars. If one little baby in every county doesn't get counted, for this census, that's a million dollars that little kids do not get when they're by the time and they're in the fifth grade. The, the next myth is that, well, I thought that deadline had passed. You know, I've heard a lot of crazy things about when, was it in April, was it in October, um, and so your time is not passed. The federal government did accelerate the timeline, so the deadline is September 30th. That's 48 days from now, but the census is so simple that you can complete it today, and it is online. 2020census.gov, or by phone in English and Spanish, or if you're hearing impaired, there's a TDD uh, number, or if it's still on your kitchen table because it's an envelope and you haven't gotten around to it, you can complete it and put it back in the mail. It's that simple. So again, you do not need to wait for anybody to come to your door. And in fact, 
Most people would prefer not to have someone knock on their door right now, even though the census has had trainings, and uh, I would like to make sure that we talk about the trainings that the census has had and that they have made smaller trainings in New Mexico as a result of our good practices, of the governor's good practices, of Dr. Scrace, and all of the good folks in New Mexico who are taking care of us from a health perspective, that the census workers will come to your house if they need to with a mask, with hand sanitizer, They'll knock on the door, they'll step back six feet, and they'll ask the questions. But if you complete your census by, email, by phone, by online, or by returning in the mail, then a census worker will not come to your house. They will not knock on your door because they have sophisticated uh, uh, data, and they say, oh, okay, I'm going to go to this house. They completed it. I won't knock you. The next house, I don't show you completed it, so I'll have to knock, you, knock your door. So again, completing the census, 10 questions, super simple. They will not ask your social security number. Nobody asks your citizenship. All they want to know is who's in the household. Does somebody live with you? Do you have roommates? Count them. Do, are, you the, are you grandma and grandpa and your, your whole family has moved? Count them. Do you have uh, folks who are, are living in your house? and Count them. You want to count everybody who's under your roof? You want to count them. They deserve to be counted. You deserve to have them counted. New Mexico deserves to be counted. The, the last thing we'll talk about um, today is that when we think about um, why we participate and we think about who can participate and we think about where New Mexico is right now, we are, we are not where we want to be. So we're at 53.7% of New Mexicans have self-responded. That means they have gone online, they've returned it by mail, or they've made a phone call, 53.7%. So what, we are, what our goal was when we started this, uh, the census before COVID came down was 60%. So we're making steady progress, but we need to make better progress because it's not about winning an, a number, it's about every single number means that a single precious New Mexican was counted that will roll up into our entire state count which will allow us to receive our fair share of federal dollars. It's only our fair share. That's it. But $7.8 billion is enough for all of us to think about who's in my family, who are my neighbors, who's, who's living in my house, who can I encourage to complete the census, how can I be the best census ambassador possible, how can I learn a little bit more about what this do these dollars do for my community, Think this, it does everything. It does health care, it does roads, it does education. These very important components of what happens in our daily lives is controlled by the census. So my parting words are the census is really important. The census is about you, it's about us, it's about all of us together. When we talk about our COVID best practices and how we are taking care of each other, that wearing a mask is not really protecting me as much as it's protecting you. That's what the census is about. Complete your census. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family. Do it for your community. Do it for New Mexico. And I really appreciate the opportunity, Governor, to talk about the census today. And I will turn it back to you. Thank you, Governor. All right. Um, all right. Thank you very much, Director Coleman. All right. So I'm all about beating every other state because it does. It brings more revenue in, making sure that we do uh, the very best we can saves lives with COVID.
and allows us to get to uh, economic recovery. And I'd love to even see, right, a resurgence of economic activity in the state. And that happens. It's all based on largely our own behaviors. So there's no reason not to get to 60 and New Mexico. With 48 days left, let's get to 80% or higher return rates. It really is that simple. I got mine uh, several months ago in the mail and returned it immediately, uh, as did my fiance. So let's get that done. Two, I predicted that if New Mexicans would help us buckle down, beat back the virus, that we could do that quickly. We did. I think it really demonstrates that if we limit our activities, we limit the contact that we have with individuals, and that we wear masks and do good hand washing, that those activities absolutely make a difference. I, I can remember, I, could, I, I can't remember, let me do it another way, I can't remember a day since being governor, where one of the measurements that people want me to look at is why aren't we doing as well as our surrounding states in any number of areas, if that's recruiting nurses or if that's educational outcomes or that's economic activity. We are beating all of our neighbors. Most of the states and the White House task force are looking to New Mexico's leadership on the public health data and the science. And we're clear, we can all do more, we keep doing more, we keep digging deeper, but we are really doing uh, a good job. We have to do a better job and we have to be able to show that we can sustain it. We're in this, it's a marathon. Uh, and I don't want folks to feel like because we're doing as well as we are that we can give it up, that we can slow up. Uh, we have to keep going. We have to keep running no matter how exhausted and we're all COVID tired. Uh, there is a, it is a real thing. The entire globe is uh, COVID fatigued because it takes a huge amount of self-discipline and quite frankly, self-sacrifice. And every time, right, we, we lose someone, we mourn that as a country. We lose somebody in the United States every 80 seconds. And we lose businesses that have been in families for generations. We mourn every single loss in the way that we should. But we can prevent more of it. I think this country should think about trying to prevent all of it. New Mexico can lead the way. I'm very concerned, as you saw from the heat map, southeastern New Mexico, uh, we continue to see cases rise. We've got to do better in southeastern New Mexico. And we can see from the data points that we use that mask wearing and traveling isn't, we're not, we're not doing more in mask wearing in those counties and we're not doing less travel in those counties. Both have to occur, more masks, less travel. Uh, and we're really focused on that. Uh, we saw another increase in rapid responses. So we're seeing cases being transmitted uh, into businesses that require rapid response. Where are we seeing a high level of activity? 30% of all of our rapid responses, so irrespective of the population, one would argue that in Albuquerque, and, and as uh, uh, large right, as Albuquerque is, that if you're traveling from the northeast uh, heights to the west side, uh, that you can impact any number of businesses. Well, note, in a smaller county, the southeastern counties, Eddie and Lee, we're seeing 30% um, uh, 
of our rapid responses are in businesses and organizations that represent southeastern or southern counties. That's an issue. We can see how the virus is being uh, transmitted and moved. Uh, we can do something about that. It's not fair to those businesses. Remember, they have to close down for a rapid response. All right, we have to test everyone. We have to sanitize the business. Uh, it's, it's imperative that we just do better. But I also want New Mexicans to feel good about the fact that when you do your part, and you are, we see immediate returns, and we keep saving lives, and we're protecting our healthcare workers, and we're allowing us to get to a new normal. I want to congratulate ourselves on lowering that positivity rate and seeing the cases decline. That is a big deal. What I don't want is for what Dr. Scrace alluded to. We don't want New Mexicans to say, we did it. The race, I finished it, I'm done. Uh, you can't. We're still in it. It is a marathon until there's a vaccine. And frankly, you're going to hear us talk about that New Mexico, if we're going to really do effective public health preparedness and we're going to be better at and a better partner for the nation in terms of public health protections, and we're going to have to think about mask wearing uh, aspects and much more distancing and much more hand washing. Just that, that'll help us with flu and, and really keep thinking about it. We lose someone to COVID in the United States every 80 seconds. We don't talk enough about, although we started today, that while people absolutely are recovering from this vicious virus, we, yet, we are yet, as, a, as a, a, a nation, to have adequate evidence and science behind exactly what are the long-term chronic issues and permanent health issues and damages resulting from contacting, contracting the virus. Last thing, um, I want folks to know that our 10 to 19 and 20 to 29 age groups continue to be a significant group for in, uh, infections uh, related to COVID. So this is a huge problem because these are populations, high school, college, right, and moving. And here's what our contact tracing, now that you're seeing that we're meeting those uh, uh, deadlines, here's what we know. Vast majority of the individuals infected from family gatherings. We need folks to stop having these large family gatherings. And I realize I'm asking a lot. We have COVID fatigue. We know that w uh, uh, general well-being is all about being with our families and our loved ones. That every other right, social and uh, health determinant aspect, you can look at the, the connections between good family relationships, positive family relationships, say a whole lot about everything else we care about, including good emotional health, except in a COVID world. In a COVID world, it's the worst possible situation. I need everyone to really buckle down and work hard to meet that five-person limit and to really stay in your own family pod, which means you don't extend it to grandma and grandpa, your aunts and uncles, or your really close neighbors that you might think of as family. No backyard gatherings. Really work hard, to, and particularly with Labor Day coming, you've got to resist 
right, the temptation to doing that. Because if you don't, we will see, right, up to five weeks later, increases in cases. And what will that do? That will create more risk to schools and will also bring in a risk that we can't tolerate in places like nursing homes and for other areas uh, where we know that rapid spread occurs. We lose lives and our ability to contain it once it gets in is highly minimized. So good news, good news, good news. I need you to stay the course. Congratulations, New Mexico. Um, I'm grateful to you and your leadership. Let's keep showing the country how it's done. Let's beat back COVID. We're all together in this, New Mexico, and thank you. Let's do questions. Thank you, Governor. First, I'm going to go to Susan Montoya with the AP. Susan, you are unmuted. Go right ahead and ask your question. Yes, Governor, you had just mentioned the Labor Day weekend coming up, and we also have the, the timeline that has been set for schools now about reassessing whether to go back after Labor Day. So what, uh, you know, what could you possibly tell the Mexicans so that we'd be sure we don't have another surge like we did over some of the, the summer holidays? Well, Susan, I really appreciate a second uh, opportunity. I mean, you did it for me, and I really appreciate that. Look, these long holiday weekends are really ripe for us to think, you know, I, I, I feel safe. My family, we're going to wear masks. Uh, it's going to be fine. It's not fine. You just create risk. Uh, and, you know, it's really painful when we read about in a news story uh, here and across the country where someone thought it was safe, they were celebrating a holiday, uh, Labor Day is a worthy thing for all of our working families to celebrate all of our hard work. Everybody wants a backyard barbecue and what we perceive as a day off. And if any state and all the state workers and all the private sector workers deserve a day off, it's in COVID, where we all are working extraordinarily um, hard, but it is not worth the risk. And when you look at some of the stories out of Texas just recently where people thought it was safe and you have a family gathering of 30 to 50 and 14 members of a family are infected and there are several deaths and several hospitalizations as a result, it's not worth the risk. The second thing you asked me is if we do that, we won't know the next day about the risk to kids. That's true. But we know risk is coming. And so if we care about protecting kids, and we do, then we really have to keep this up. Frankly, I would argue we have to even be better. Let me give New Mexicans some examples. All right. Just meeting the gating criteria, it's a moment in time. I don't know what it's going to look like tomorrow. We look at that exit strategy map. We're green, we're yellow, we're red, we're bruised red. It is a moment in time. It requires constant effort to beat back the virus. We've got five school districts that I want to just point to who have all had, frankly, a very poor school reopening over the last couple of weeks, right, where we have hundreds of infections with kids and with the faculty and educators in schools, right? So let's point to Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, Oklahoma, and India. I want to point out under the best circumstance, Germany, where we highlight really progressive, proactive activity by other countries where they really beat back the virus. And we talked about getting our infection rates below one, that that's how you look at economic recovery. They did all that, right, 
in Berlin, eight school districts, I would argue that they have much more uh, cohesive, right, uh, attention towards mask wearing and other public health aspects. Why? Many of the European countries have a really robust investment in public health strategies. And this country hasn't paid for it, hasn't educated people about it, didn't do it. So we're different than our uh, European neighbors. But Germany is a really good example where they did all those public health things, arguably, right? Berlin, eight school districts, infections. So here's the message to parents. We are going to keep promoting what's safe. We're going to go really slow because I know, based on all of the data, that I can't guarantee that COVID doesn't get in. How does it get in? It moves with person-to-person contact. We're going to have contact. Unlike a lot of the school districts in the country, we have very firm COVID-safe practices. Shout out to our education partners who are adhering to those in large part, although... New Mexico, we've got some superintendents and some school districts who are pushing back. And the problem with that is it creates a safety issue for your educators and your children. So we're moving in the right direction. Please don't interfere, interrupt that for Labor Day. And we're going to have to keep looking. And here's one last thing. The next two weeks gives us great opportunity to not only look at how we're doing, because we'll see the case uh, rates every day, and we'll see the positivity rates, but it will also give us an opportunity to see how things are going in other school districts and to compare their COVID-safe practices with ours. Because if it looks like no school district, even in a hybrid setting, can adequately protect children and their educators, then we're going to have to put out different kinds of guidance. But today... Based on the science, based on common sense, based on how we're doing, we're as confident as we can that we can mitigate it to the highest degree, which means that we can embrace the emotional well-being of children, educators, give them a boost in their educational outcomes by going to our hybrid efforts the day after Labor Day with K-5. through But I really want folks to think about how hard we have to work to manage that. We cannot afford to expose one child. And for people in this state and around the country that don't think you lose children to COVID, certainly not in the high-risk groups like we see with older people or people with chronic care conditions, but it is untrue that this country hasn't lost children to COVID. And it is a risk I'm certainly not willing to take, and I can't imagine anybody else here's too. So it's good news, and I can see the doctor wanting to raise his hand, and it's tough news. We're doing everything right. Stay the course. Great question. Push hard to make sure that we get the lowest case rates possible. We keep lowering the positivity rates. That means the prevalence of the virus is really mitigated. You're listening to Fox News, ABQ.FM, K229CL, 93.7 FM, and AM 1600, KIVA, Albuquerque.